ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans, book of Romans, chapter 8. That is found on page 944 in the Pew Bibles. And I want to remind you that we are in a topical series on the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, or we believe in the Holy Spirit. And so I'll mention tonight that I'm not going to exegete this passage or explain this passage like I normally would. I did preach through Romans some years ago here. I'm not necessarily pointing to my sermons. If you want to find out uh, some things about this particular passage, there's many wonderful things written about the book of Romans. And so you might want to check some of those things out. Because this is topical tonight, I ask you to have your Bibles ready. We will be looking at a number of verses. But we'll begin with Romans chapter 8. Children, here are your questions for this evening. What is an unbeliever's biggest problem? Two, what did Jesus do to change that? And three, must the Holy Spirit work in someone's heart for them to have new life in Jesus? Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, we'll read to verse 11. This is the word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. In Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we have just heard from you in your word, and we thank you so much for that. You have already ministered to us directly through your word. And now we ask that you would still minister to us through the preaching of your word. So we pray, Holy Spirit, please help us. Please help the preacher. Please help all of us who will hear to receive from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God is always true to his word, and God does not mince words. When it comes to the results of the fall into sin... God does not mince words. He describes what we experience in Adam and Eve as death. God created our first mother and father out of dust, breathed life into them, and gave them rule and reign over all of 
the creation, and he warned them about one thing, just one thing. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We know the sad results. We know that they couldn't resist. They exercised their free will and they ate of the tree, both Adam and Eve culpable for that tragic act. The results of that is, in fact, death. Death. Now, Adam and Eve, once they ate of the tree, they didn't drop dead. They probably pinched themselves. Maybe they didn't even know what real death of humanity was. But they didn't drop dead physically, but the process began. They, they were facing that inevitability that always loomed before them, that their bodies would eventually give in to decay and die. But they did certainly immediately die a spiritual death. Their fellowship with their own creator was broken. It was broken. Their intimate fellowship with him, they became spiritually dead. And the grim state of being in scripture is, is described in many different ways, but the, the most stark description, the most vividly defined description is that it's death. And that death has been passed down from generation to generation right down to this day. Such is the condition of mankind. That is our natural state. The Apostle Paul picks up on that very term, that very language, when he says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That sounds so very stark, so final. But he finishes that sentence with, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so it would be fair to ask ourselves, how does someone, how does anyone who's dead in trespasses and sins come to life? How do we receive that eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord? How do people go from being dead to receiving eternal life? Well, it is through the coordinated work of the Trinity. Out of love of the Father, out of the sacrificial work of Christ, and out of the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit comes new life to once dead creatures. Our emphasis tonight is on the life-giving spirit. In the Nicene Creed, we're told that we, or we confess, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. And in the last couple of sermons, we discussed, or we discovered from Scripture, that that it's proper to call the Holy Spirit Lord. He is the third person of the Trinity with all the attributes of God to be revered, to be worshipped, not to be blasphemed. And so we understand that the person of the third person of the Holy Spirit is divine. He is God. But he's given a special work when it comes to salvation, to apply the salvation that Jesus Christ accomplished. He is the giver of life. And certainly in one way, this refers to the initial giving of life, breathing life into Adam and Eve, those creatures like us created from dust. God breathed life into them, and so the giver of life. But he's also the executor, the applier, the bestower, the infuser, we might say, of new life to once dead souls. And that is our emphasis tonight. So important to remember that 
the death we experienced in the flesh and in our souls was something that no human being could ever escape from on their own. So we need to reflect on the awful state of man. And that state is condemnation. God's righteous judgment against sin. His judgment is just. And rebellion meets the just penalty that God righteously meets out. I want you to turn to John chapter 3. And keep your finger there, there because we'll be going back to John 3 a couple of times in the sermon tonight. But I want you to notice what John says in verse 18. And actually just the second half. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What a striking statement our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ makes. Remarkably disturbing comment about the state of humanity outside of grace. The consequences of being condemned by God, as he said, was going to be death. And if there's no mercy, then there's a double death because there is that in inevitability and sorrow and decay of our bodies and the affliction that no one can escape. But there's the anguish of spiritual deadness of souls in this life that will lead to a second death in the next life, which is an undying death. That's awful bad news. But let's not forget that the gospel is good news. And so the good news is that we don't have to stay in that condition. There's life in the spirit. It's part of God's, what we call, amazing grace. In John chapter 3 again, 16, probably some of the most familiar verses in all of scripture. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his, his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's what Jesus says. That's as stunning, if not more stunning, than the fact that without him, everyone's condemned. The fact that he came not to condemn, but the, to save should strike us all. He goes on to say, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Now, we attribute our salvation rightly to Jesus. Jesus saves. That is a legitimate bumper sticker. More importantly, that is the truth of God's word. Jesus saves. How does he save? How does he save? Well, he gives his life for our sake. Remember, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How does he accomplish it? He becomes, as it were, sin. And he becomes that in our place. We who truly are, are sinners, he took our place as sin, as if he were sin on the cross. And therefore, he, as our substitute, bore the wrath of God, experiencing certainly physical death, but experiencing the feeling, the intensity, the gravity of spiritual death 
so that we would be spared. In doing so, he conquered sin and death itself. Jesus saves. But how do we get that? How do we get that? How does it become ours? Christians claim to benefit from the work of Christ. How dare we claim that we've come from death to life? But we claim it, and we're right to claim it. We can truly say, the Holy Spirit has given me life and has applied the saving work of Jesus Christ to my soul. How does it become ours? In one sense, I want to say with the hymn, I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith within. But in another sense, I want to say that Scripture clearly attests to the fact that the Holy Spirit is thoroughly effective in our salvation. In our salvation. We give credit to the Holy Spirit for the work, the saving work that's applied to us. Now, I've mentioned a couple of times that the Holy Spirit's ministry is by and large to point us to Jesus. But here, Jesus in turn points us to the Holy Spirit as the one who applies salvation to us. Back to John chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. Remember, he's having a conversation here with Nicodemus. And he's telling Nicodemus that he's not good enough. No one, by the way, is good enough to save himself, nor can anyone save themselves. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, son of man. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus makes it clear in those last verses that it is his crucifixion, lifted up like the serpent, that anyone who looks to him would have life. He makes that clear. But who is the agent that points us in that direction? Very clearly, the Holy Spirit points us in that direction and brings new life to our soul. John chapter 6, just turn over a couple pages. Verse 60 to 65. Disciples are a little bit confused. Many of the disciples heard it. This is verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit 
who gives light. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And so once again, he points to the Spirit as the one who gives life. The Puritan John Owen puts it this way. He simply says, Jesus Christ is our Savior. But the actual washing of regeneration and renewing of our souls is the work of the Holy Spirit. And then he refers us to Titus chapter 3. I'll ask you to turn there. I love it when the Apostle Paul uses what we can call the royal we. And he uses it talking about all those who are redeemed were in the same boat until the grace of God came to us. Titus 3, verse 3 to 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And we'll just stop there in that passage. But the grace of God applied to sinners. Now turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 2, because here you will read your testimony. Did you know that your testimony was in Scripture? It's my testimony. It's the testimony of every saint who is in Christ. And even though we have a a wide range of experiences, there's common denominators in every one of our testimonies. And so this is your testimony. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's your testimony. You were dead in sin. And by the grace of God, he came to you, and he gave you new life. And the Holy Spirit breathed new life into your dead soul, applying the resurrection power of Christ to you. I'm always, always amazed by that phrase, the resurrection power exerted in you. 
So at some point, through the inner working of the Holy Spirit, all the components necessary for your salvation came to bear upon you. And when you consider the parts of salvation, sometimes called the order of salvation, all those components, the ordo salutis, if you like Latin, all those things, and I'll go through them rather quickly, are all the work of the Holy Spirit in you because you need to recognize, and I think we do recognize, that none of it would be possible if the Holy Spirit didn't work in our lives. We've been effectually called to God by his power and his grace through his love, inviting us and drawing us to Christ through his word, convincing us of sin, giving us the knowledge of Christ, teaching us to embrace Christ as our Savior. Some of this language comes from our catechisms. Regeneration, actually having having the breath of God come into us and giving us new life to our once dead souls. Do you know that about yourself? He came and preached to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit, capital S, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. And then back a little bit in Ephesians, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit of Wisdom, capital S, Spirit of Wisdom, and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come and forward. But did you notice, did you notice the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's resurrection power exerted in us. There's no life without it. Our faith, even our faith is a gift from God. Without the Holy Spirit, we would never believe. Our repentance, we would never turn our own, on our own, but we would have kept going in our own self-destructive, miserable path. Our justification, the, the righteousness of Christ imputed to us that we receive by faith, union with Christ spiritually and mystically, yet really inseparably joined to Christ, adopted into his family. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
And now you're being sanctified. Now God is working in your life. And it's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, applying the word, transforming you day after day, renewing you in the whole person after the image of God, enabled more and more to die unto sin and live to righteousness. And people, if you have any, any hope of perseverance to the end, you and I both know with the fickleness of our faith, with the weakness of our faith, that we will stumble many times and sometimes we'll fall, but if it weren't for the work of the Holy Spirit, we would never get back up. It would be all over. And there's more to come, glorification. But even the assurance that we have, that which is the comfort of our heart, that we could have confidence in God's mercy, about his undying commitment to us, is a testimony to the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit to our souls, that we really do not belong to ourselves, but belong to our faithful Savior. Well, tonight, this was not meant to be a doctrinal exercise, but to encourage us to a deeper appreciation of God's great love for us and his mercy, a great appreciation for the sacrificial atonement that Jesus Christ made for us, but also a greater appreciation for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, if you have life in Christ, at some point, the Holy Spirit brought you from death to life. The process might have been subtle, it might have been dramatic. But the result was the regenerating power bringing you from death to life. From death to life. If you're one of the many blessed among us, and I know there's some of you who can say you never remember a time when you didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you never remember a time when you didn't trust in him as your Lord and Savior, remember what you were by nature. Never forget that. And live your life eternally thankful to the God of your salvation who brought you from death to life. And for those of you who remember what it was like to be without Christ and to be far from God and without hope in the world, never forget where you came from. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. But you've got new life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Live eternally thankful for that. Well, by virtue of his deity, but certainly experientially with reference to our salvation, we say with the Nicene Creed that the Holy Spirit is to be worshipped with the Father and Son together. He with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified. Praise him for his glorious deity. Praise him for his wonderful work of salvation in your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that we would not even know to turn to you and to thank you for the great salvation that we know in Christ if it were not for your sending your Holy Spirit to bring life to our once dead souls. You've shown us our sin. You've shown us our Savior. And by the grace that you've given to us as a wonderful gift from you, we embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord. And we praise you, Holy Spirit, Lord and giver of life as you've worked in us 
bringing salvation to bear upon our souls and continue to persevere with us and sanctifying us. We give you praise and glory. And as always, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.